In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, John David Mann. Wow, it's so nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, Carl. it's so wonderful to finally spend some time with you. I've yeah. known one of your colleagues for uh, quite some time, Mr. Bob Berg, and I know you guys yes. wrote The Go-Giver together. I'm not sure what other projects. I'm sure there are others. A uh, bunch of Go-Giver books, yes. Yeah, yeah, I love that book. That's one of my favorite, favorite business books, especially because there are about just six different people when it came out, gave it to me. Uh, and so... <sighs> I, I, I can't even remember. I think Bob had something posted on LinkedIn. I saw, I was like, man, I've got, to, okay, here's my chance to go <laughs> track you down and to get a little time with you because your background is just absolutely fantastic. Yes. And both you uh, and Bob have the relationship aspect uh, that what the People Catalyst podcast is all about, right? I mean, in yes. business and life, relationships truly are uh, the, um, you know, pillar of everything else that we do, right? And we solve problems with people. So, and you have such an amazing, just eclectic background too, John. So share with us a little bit about kind of where your entrepreneurial journey started. And, you know, you've done just about everything I, I, I you can think of between businesses and schools and writing and all sorts have, of good stuff. I have never gone skydiving. I have never... <laughs> Rope to Buffalo. There are there a few things go. I have. So you can just write the list of all the things you didn't yeah, do because exactly. that would be. <laughs> Here you go. Here you go. Anyway, so yeah, I can't tell you exactly why things went the way they did. I like to, like to say that Bob Berg ruined my career. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. But um, I, I've always, I, I guess I've always been curious about, you know, different things. I've always kind of followed my curiosity into a new field rather than, you know, I never said I'm going to be a writer. I never said I'm going to be an entre entrepreneur. I didn't even know the word, but things just kind of have worked out the way they've worked out because I've been, I've followed my curiosity and my interests. Mm -hmm. um, and because I had parents who encouraged me with, mm -hmm. with everything that I did. And I'm really grateful to both of them for that. I think very we all need that. Very important relationships, yeah. right? I mean, that's the- we, we all need that. We don't all have the, the luxury of having had that from our parents, but we can all get that from somebody around us, um, mm -hmm. you know, or, or from ourselves us encourage ourselves mm -hmm. um in any any case my story so uh when i was 13 i began composing music um for my mom was a greek drama teacher and a greek mythology teacher and she was going to take a bunch of school kids to greece and perform prometheus bound in the theater where we, or it was originally produced like two thousand years three thousand wow. years ago and i was one of those kids and she, and she wanted to take there were eight choruses eight chorus sections in the in the play that she wanted set to music and so she said, turn to me and said, would you do that? And I was like, you know, I'm 13. I don't know how to compose music. And she, <laughs> I can't do that. And she said, typically, sure you can. Yeah, you can. So I did. <laughs> and, um, and I went on to win a couple of prizes in music. And, and that kind of began my career as a composer, which um, a, was a career that I abandoned along the way. I was a composer and I was a concert cellist. Uh, my, my, my parents were both classical musicians, but at the age of 17, I became very interested in education. Primarily, I became very uh, disinterested in my own high school, my own public high school. <laughs> and <a bunch> of, <laughs> I yeah, can totally understand that one. <laughs> a bunch of friends and I decided we wanted to start our own school. 
which of course you can't do that. And of course my mom said, yes, you can. Yeah. So, so we did, uh, I, I dropped out of school at the age of 17 and at the age of 18 attended the first graduating class of our high school, which we opened up and which ran for a good 10 years after that, after that year, and I graduated from that, I went back and taught there on the faculty for a couple of years before I went on to, to other stuff. Um, so creating that school out of nothing, mm -hmm. doing something that supposedly we couldn't possibly do, mm -hmm. uh, was my, I guess, my proving ground or my training ground initially in being an entrepreneur. And as I said, I didn't know the word particularly, but that's, that's what we were doing. Um, and so I went off from there and I'll, I'll, I'll try to go fast forward now so we don't take half an hour with this history. Um, I went on to play professionally the cello, and then I became very interested in nutrition and natural health, and I got involved in that field for some years. And in that field, I, be, I always seemed to end up being the guy who was editing the articles for other people. So I started editing and editing and editing, and then I got very interested in business and entrepreneurship, and I knew the word by then, and I got very involved in network marketing in that field. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got involved in journalism, business journalism, writing about the things that I'd been interested in. And I became senior editor and editor-in-chief of a series of business journals that I either started or helped start, which was where I met Bob Berg. Mm -hmm. By the time I met Bob, I had decided that I wanted to be a screenwriter. I was very interested in screenwriting. So that was my plan. That was my new path. And I'd gone to Hollywood and I'd taken some courses and I'd analyzed a ton of screenplays. And I was on that track to become an A-list screenwriter. That was my plan. <laughs> mm -hmm. When Bob said, I need you to help me write this book. In fact, I need you to write this book with me because this is not a book that I can write. It's, it's fiction. It's like a parable. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so would you do that? And I was like, the go giver? I don't, I just, I didn't see it. I don't think that's really going to work. I don't think that's <laughs> I just don't know. But you talk about relationships. So here was the thing. Actually, he asked me about joining him in this project at some point in uh, 2004. And by Christmas time, I told my, my girlfriend, my fiance, now my wife, I said, you know, I, I don't I don't see this really kind of working exactly. I don't get the concept, but but it's Bob. Mm -hmm. So I, I got to, you know, got to look right? at it. Exactly. So over the, the, uh, the holidays, at the end of that year, we went down to Florida and we actually spent a day with Bob kind of talking about the idea. And, and I went back home and I, and I thought about that. And he had, Bob had drawn up like, you know, eight, 10, 12,000 words of some notes, some chapter ideas, some characters. He had started a process. And uh, I took a look at his notes and thought about it and said, well, you know, let me, I had just come off a, a uh, advanced screenwriting course that uh, had given me some dialogue skills, I thought. So let me just try my hand at this. So I wrote the chapter that is now, we know it as the chapter with Deborah Davenport about authenticity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to the end of that and thought, this is cool, I like this. I sent it to Bob and he's like over the moon. So we went back and forth. I would write a chapter, shoot it to him by email. He would send back his comments, which were mostly awesome, wow, yes, go on further. And then uh, in about six weeks, we, we wrote the book. Now, wow, that's impressive. I, you guys I were will, having fun if you did that in six We were years. having fun, totally having fun. I will add that, that the manuscript that we had at that point would never have seen the light of day. It went through massive rewriting uh, at the hands of our agent, 
which we were, happy, were fortunate to find a literary agent who would work with us. And, um, and you know, we spent over a year rewriting it and you know, eventually it got published and that was the end of my screenwriting career. I discovered that I was writing books and I'm still writing. This is 30, year, uh, 30 <laughs> books later, I'm writing books for a living. It's what I do. Yeah, about 30 roughly. Wow, that's impressive. And you have such a different array of books that, it, it, you know, yeah. it, I love that you said earlier, you know, you follow your curiosity. I think that's yeah. really critical because, you know, curiosity, not everybody knows what their quote unquote passion is. Yes. And that's the word that's typically used, but your curiosity feeds you just, it's very similar. I think that's, yeah. you know, uh, to, uh, a coin in the, you know, it's a very thin coin because there's so, it's it's a word that you can use, I think, yeah. um, that, that that's not so hard as passions. Like, what are you passionate about, right? And you're just like, well, you know, and typically people, I think, feel like they have to say, a nonprofit, or I want to help people, and it's really hard. But I love that word curiosity uh, yeah. that you can use. And um, so, how did you meet Bob, by the way? Because that's always the tip, right? I met Bob through you. I mean, relationships are this like wave of individuals that you meet. Um, how did you oh, run into him, and how did you guys uh, connect? You know, people often ask me, uh, yeah, how do, how, what advice do you have if I want to become a writer or, or I want to improve my writing skills or I want to go into, and you know, one answer, I have a couple answers, but one of them is, at least for my case, I spent a lot of years, probably 20 years editing other people's stuff. Mm. And there's nothing like taking other people's stuff and a profession, particularly people who are not professional writers, uh, but who have an interest or an expertise or an experience that is really valuable and they put it in words, taking other people's stuff and making it ready, making it better, making it, you know, improving it. It's fantastic uh, training ground. And as I said, I never planned to be a writer. I never set out to do that, but, you know, but I, but I got the training by editing other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. Bob was one of those other people. Mm -hmm. I probably edited, I don't know, 100 different, 200 different writers in the course of all these business journal articles. Most of them probably never even noticed what, what the editing was. Every now and then somebody would, we had one guy who said, I don't like the editing, put it back the way it was. The way it was was terrible. So we, we didn't. <laughs> But, you told him his baby was ugly. He didn't like it. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm sorry, dude. Uh, you, if you want to publish it, it's being, it's being edited. But I had two contributors that entire time that, that wrote into the magazine and said, well, what have you done? My stuff is so much better than it was. And one of them was Bob. Mm, and uh, that's Bob for you, shedding yeah. a light on somebody's brilliance, which is huge about building relationships. And he hired me to edit, uh, he edited a couple of things he did, edit Endless Referrals, a new edition of that book, and a, and a few other little projects that he'd done. And then the go-getter came along and said, I don't want to hire you to edit. I want to partner with you in writing this. I need you to write, do the writing because, you know, I know what I kind of what I want to say, at least the, the, the initial idea. When we set out to write that book, we didn't have five principles, by the way, of stratospheric success. We didn't have five anything. Um, the the storyline the five principles of the book, the ending of the whole, you know, the whole essence of the book grew out of the process of writing it and, and drew on wow. Bob's experience and my experience. And we've both been in sales. We've both been in business. We've both been entrepreneurs. Uh, it really is kind of like a 50-50 mix of our DNA. So um, it was a fantastic experience. And I mentioned 30 books, right? Yeah. Almost all of them have been writing partnerships like the go-giver. Mm -hmm. um, Bob has been one of my major writing partners. Brandon Webb, the Navy SEAL I mentioned, has been another one. 
and there have been many others, but the, all, my, all my books have been partnerships. They've all been entrepreneurial projects. Yeah, that's why, you're, that's why you have so many bestsellers, <laughs> right? Because that's what relationships do, you know, and yeah. uh, you're, you're always yeah. going to be better working as a team. That's just a fact yes. because we can't yes. see our own stuff. Yeah. And if you can build that yes. relationship and build, you know, it's interesting when you work with entrepreneurs, one of the things they always say, don't hire anybody that's really exactly like you. You need to have a balanced team and they need yeah. to respect their magnificence, right? Yeah. And that yeah. makes the team uh, absolutely stronger. So yeah. tell me, what's your year, one of your, or the favorite principle in the Go-Giver book? That's <laughs> um, a hard one to pick, huh? I can tell you this. Uh, so two answers. The first answer is I can tell you what people tell us. Mm -hmm. uh, and people say there's five, for those of you, anybody listening who doesn't know the book, there are five principles. Oh yeah, go through the five, maybe so they can hear them. The five laws of stratospheric success. And basically they're all elaborations or facets of the core idea, which is that if you shift your focus in business and in life in general as well, if you shift your focus from getting, uh, you know, what benefits me to giving, how can I add value to, to other people's lives? Mm -hmm. Then that's not only sort of a more noble path, you could say, uh, nice, good, all those, all those you know, lovely little mild milk toast adjectives. It's also profitable. It's pragmatic. Mm -hmm. It's practical. If you, if you focus your life on adding value to other people, it builds your reputation. Mm -hmm. It builds your value. It makes you a valuable person that other people want to know, want to help, want to assist. And ultimately, it's kind of like Zig Ziglar said ages ago, you can get anything you want in life if you help other people get what they want. Mm -hmm. And so Ooh, you I, just gave me some goosey bumps. That was one of my favorite quotes. I love it was. It, it's great, huh? Because yeah. um, Zig was a recipient of our first annual Go-Giver Award back in, when we were when we were doing those awards. Um, and John Maxwell was year number two. Mm. Uh, so you know, the idea behind the Go-Giver is not you should be a good person or how to be a saint or how to be selfless or how to be a, a martyr, you know? It's none of that. It's how to put your focus, not on yourself, which is ultimately self-defeating, mm -hmm. right? It's a paradox. Mm -hmm. Put your focus out because that's the way you're actually going to live the richest life. It's gonna benefit you. Mm -hmm. So um, there are five principles in the book that elaborate on that. The first is the law of value, which is the um, you know your your value, your personal worth, your value is um, is based on how much more you give than you take mm -hmm. uh, uh, in payment. And that doesn't mean you should give all your stuff away for free. Mm -hmm. It means you should do what great businesses do: mm -hmm. charge a decent price, even a high price, whatever the, the fair price is and give away the store, give the most extraordinary customer service, create the most memorable experience, do the most remarkable job, be the kind of business that people will all talk about because they can't believe what you did for them. Mm -hmm. um, the second principle is about income. And it says your, uh, your income is determined by how many lives you touch. Uh, it's a matter of reach, really, how big you grow your sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. The third, the third principle is about influence. And it says your influence in the world is determined by how much you pay, you put your focus on other people's interests, putting other people's interests first. In the book, it says how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Mm -hmm. The fourth principle is authenticity. And it simply says the most important gift, the most valuable gift you have to give is yourself. 
-hmm. You know, whatever you're selling, whatever service you're offering, whatever it is you're doing for the world, it's really, it's ultimately about you. It's you're giving yourself to the mm -hmm. world. This is true whether you're a salesperson or you're somebody who answers the phone or you're somebody who builds things. It's even true if you're a writer, because ultimately, no matter what you write about, you're really, you're writing yourself. You're putting yourself on the yep. page. Paper. Mm -hmm. yep. These are all four lovely. These are all four just charming and lovely and delightful and practical and pragmatic. But the fifth principle, this is the one that people say, oh, God, the fifth principle gave me a hard time. And Bob and I have been hearing it for a decade. The first four principles, yeah, they really clicked. It's like, I feel like I'm already that way. I kind of got that. You know, you told me or, that six different just, people. It's really, yeah, it's real easy to see. And you, if you go, oh, I got to be yeah. better in that meeting or I got to be like, it's a, there's it, even if it, there's an aha, it's a natural Easy, I get it. Go. I see that. I see yeah. it. Yeah. I see how I want to do that. Right. And and you said you told me that you know six people gave you told you about the book because they thought of you. Well, mm -hmm. you know they probably thought of those first four principles or one of those first four principles. Mm -hmm. People tell us that the first four are easy, but the fifth is like that mm, one gave me splinters. And we think of them as like four fingers and a thumb. It appears to be opposing the opposable thumb, mm -hmm. but without it, the four fingers really don't work. Mm -hmm. So the fifth principle is the law of receptivity. And it says the only way or the way to be open to continuous giving is to stay, the only way to keep giving is to stay open to receiving. Mm -hmm. If you're not open to receiving, you shut off the flow. You don't get to give. It means being a, a, like a martyr, being a doormat, being a, you go ahead and enjoy the movie without me, I'll stay home and suffer. It's not mm -hmm. a practical way to live. Yep. When someone wants to give you something, their time, their attention, their care. Or wants to buy you gift, a coffee. That was the one that you, I yeah. got. Every time I went, I, I always had to be the person that bought the lunch or bought the dinner or bought the coffee. That's what I I'll got. I'll pick it up. When I read I'll get it, it. I'll get the show. because it makes me feel good. But at the same time, it's like, you also have to, that was the one that it, it knocked me on the floor too. When I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to be a better, um, a better receiver. Not, not, not so much joyful, just being yeah. open to it to say, wait a second, I've given. So you have the ability to then open your arms back and say, well, now, you know, I need to be able to be receptive and open to it instead of kind of being like you always have to be the giver one of my co-authors is a guy named david Kruger, who's an md uh, he's a psychiatrist he says he re he's a recovering psychiatrist because he no longer <laughs> practices psychiatry he's an executive coach and he uh, he's just a wonderful wonderful man and uh like bob berg david was at my wedding he's a great guy and um david and i wrote a book called the secret language of money and one of the things he describes is how he's given this test over, over the years to people. He says, tell me your, your, your annual income right now. Then tell me the uh, annual income that you'd, that you'd like to shoot for, that if you had, your life would be handled, that if you had, you'd be satisfied, life would be good. Not like buy your own island, but like it would be cool. Mm -hmm. And he said the, 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 the desired amount is nearly always twice the current amount. He said, but here's where it gets interesting. A few years later, I'll go back and test the same person and they'll, and they may, they may have risen their income to that higher level. And now I'll ask them, what's your current income? It's here. What's your desired amount? Twice as much. <laughs> it's really funny. People have limitations about how much they can, they can earn. There've been a ton of studies that show that people hit a certain income level and just can't get above that ceiling. You know, whether it's $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month, 
$3,000 a month, $50,000 a month. <laughs> the scale doesn't matter. It's the energy. People have a certain ceiling that they can't seem to get past. Or people who can't seem to get into a relationship that really nurtures them, that really works for them. Or people can't, whatever the, whatever the situation, the money, relationship, activity, career, people have these ceilings that they bump into mm -hmm. that may even appear externally imposed by society or by their circumstance. But in many cases, it's an internally generated ceiling or wall. And what that wall is, is this is the most I deserve. Mm. This, I, I don't deserve more than this. Mm. Because the law of receptivity isn't functioning fully. It's like mm. you have to keep the, the, the channel of receiving wide open. The way that you, you know, it sounds kind of woo-woo, but the way that you grow your income is first that you is is, is you believe that you that you should. That you well, there's a lot going it. on upstairs a lot of time. I mean, that's why it's yeah. so important to read and to nurture your brain because, you know, yes. that determines your activity. And sometimes, you know, your subconscious mind is so strong that if you're not consistently aware of your actions, it even re it reinforces your subconscious. Let me let me give you an example of this personal example. Years ago, when I started writing books, I was writing books, you know, about business, and they were all you know, nonfiction books, like you know, uh, Seven Principles of That and Ten Laws of This, and you know, some people's memoirs, like their their life story and so forth. And then they'll go giver and parables like that. And my wife said, "You're destined to be a novelist." You, 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 you are, you are going to write amazing novels. And I got to tell you, Carla, honestly, although by this time I already had, a, you know, pretty good evidence that I could write books, I would always think, God, a novel? I just, I could never do that. I can't see myself doing that. And it just seems so said, daunting. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, you know, my mom in, my, in the back of my head. Yeah. So, so she's like, yeah, not only can you do that, that's going to be your career. That's where you're going to ultimately be. I could never see it, but eventually, I eventually I, I got through that wall, and my first novel is being published, you know, this July, and it's already gotten accolades. But you know what? I just I didn't see it. I you couldn't so see much, it. John, how that's another thing with relationships, both like you said, your mom and your wife, and I'm sure they're in Bob and all these other influential relationships. Sometimes yeah. I think what happens is the thing that comes easy to somebody, they don't value it in themselves or they just can't see, they, you know, it, others yeah. can see the brilliance and magnificence in them. And a lot of times it's really hard because this thing in between our two ears um, gets in the middle of it, right? And so that's another reason, not only just having a nurturing and having a great sphere of influence, but this, you know, way of somebody looking at you and saying, God, you're brilliant at that. Yeah, this is what I see for you because sometimes people can see so much for us that we can't see for ourselves. You know, if I, if I had a forward slogan for everything you just said, it's the slogan is your dog is right. You know, <laughs> the, you know the bumper sticker, I, 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 I strive to be the person my dog thinks I am. That is a great quote. I well, love your it. dog is right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So you, you share the five principles. And so let's go ahead and um, uh, wrap this up about your favorite principles out of the five. Cause I know you said the one that um, everyone says, so I'm going to guess yours might be a little bit different and then yeah. we'll let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you. 
Yeah. Um, I think my favorite principle, if I had to, you know, the five wall are like facets of the same, same jewel inside, if, if, if you want to use that image. But for me, I, I'm intrigued with that, that third law, the law of influence, law of influence, the law, fourth law, the law of authenticity came from my wife. It's like she embodies that. That's where I got that. I modeled it on her. But the third law says your influence in the world is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Mm-hmm. And I wrote those words but it still puzzles me because the universe is a puzzling place. Mm-hmm. The world is it's something I learned as a teenager. The world is built on paradox and you can't understand how the world really works unless you embrace the idea of paradox, mm-hmm. um, which is what the go-giver is all about. Uh, you can't give unless you receive. And so your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Uh, and, and you know, it's not, always easy, or at least it's not always obvious to me how to do that. Um, so I, 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 that to me is, and I guess that interests me because I have the desire, I've always had the aspiration to have an influence in the world. Mm-hmm. I want to have an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had a gravestone, if I had to design my gravestone, maybe it would say he had an impact. Um, that's, I want the world to be a different place and a better place because mm-hmm. I was here. Mm-hmm. I think we all kind of want that. I think we do. Yeah. And, you know, and I think the reason, I think it's so, um, such a powerful law, number one, because of what you stated, right? But then the how is so kind of mysterious. Then you have to lean yes. into, okay, so it's listening to their wants and needs, right? It's, yeah. uh, it's like, what are all the things that I can do to create influence with someone else? And it's probably not the same for everybody, right? Um, You know, um, speaking truth or into them or, you know, identifying what they're magnificent at or just honestly, I swear, just making sure every day, whoever you talk to have a smile on your face and make it a fun conversation. Like I kept on thinking um, one of my mentors, Brian Buffini, Mm. every great marketing, um, you know, strategy had three different pieces give, ask, and receive. But if you haven't given first, you don't have the ability to ask. And I kept on thinking, well, what are all the things that you can give? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? You can even give a darn smile. And that still creates influence. Like, so one day I wrote all the different things and my TEDx talk is actually lead with a give. And so it's, that's kind of been one of those things I've always thought yeah. about, about because giving actually creates the influence. But I think sometimes we have to give these big things. You can, you know, give them yeah. your time. You can give of your connections. You can give, you can give, and it gets down literally just to your smile. How many times yeah. do you walk down the street and everybody's just, you know, yeah. in, some- in their own world. Yeah, and by giving that, it gives something back to you. It's something as little as that. Just listening. I mean, actually listening um, to what the person's saying, what the person's feeling. Listening between the words for 15 seconds, for one minute, for five minutes, for whatever amount of time is is that little bite of time. Genuinely listening is one of the most enormous gifts that you could give because people so rarely get it in this world, in this talkative world. That's so true. Uh, And one of the things, John, I'll never forget, I've met with a colleague and this has served me so well about creating influence and listening, how important it is. I, and I can't remember, this is quite a while ago that I was reading several books on, um, it might have been The Go-Giver now that I think about it. And (laughs) I made it a, 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 task that every time I met with somebody for the first 15 minutes, 
it was all focused on them. And as I could tell when people were givers because it would make them uncomfortable because I would just focus on them and asking them questions like, no, 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 I want to, I want to ask you questions. I wouldn't let them. Mm, and to yeah. this day, when you have a lunch with somebody like that, you might not have something today that, mm -hmm. but you can call them five years later and say, hey, I thought about this and I thought about you. They remember yeah. who you are. They take your phone call. They take your text. Just because of that little bit of time, you know, that you- That's brilliant. Put forward into those connections. I and love so it. uh, it's definitely absolutely worthwhile, but it's also fun. That's the great <laughs> part. It's nice being the person that everybody wants to be around and sure. everybody to call to you know partner with and so but i love that that's great wonderful man we could do this forever john this is oh, one yeah. of my favorite favorite totally. subjects um <laughs> we'll have to have you know we might have to call up bob and have some type of a podcast with all of us sometime because yeah. <laughs> round, round table that would be a ball so well i can't wait for your next book to come out and and how can readers get a hold of you uh, my website, which I'm just in the middle of redoing, but it's still, it's there. Uh, and my website is simply my name, John David Mann, two N's, johndavidman.com. Um, all my books are there. I have a blog there. Um, I'm uh, going to be putting up a book I'm working on. I'm going to be offering as a free ebook, but it's not ready yet. So that's a few months away. But everything I do, it's there on my website, johndavidman.com. Fantastic. John, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was fantastic. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.